0: Welcome to the human capital innovations podcast in this HCI podcast episode. I talk with Josh Burson about his new global study on building a truly healthy organization. Josh Burson, welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
1: Thank you, Jonathan. It's great to be here again.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you back. I'm so excited to talk about this new report that's coming out on Monday, uh, your new global study on building a truly healthy organization. So we'll be exploring that together today. Uh, But also we're going to talk about the New York Times story um, the other day about Amazon and some Mm -hmm. of the problems related there in terms of vulnerable workers and leave and um, just all sorts of challenges that they're facing at Amazon and what they need to be doing you know to, to build a more truly healthy organization in line with what you found in your report. Uh, right. As we get started, I'll just share Josh's bio with everybody. Josh Burson founded Burson and Associates in 2001 to provide research and advisory services focused on corporate learning. He expanded the company's coverage to encompass HR, talent management, talent acquisition, and leadership, and became a recognized expert in the talent market. Burson sold the company to Deloitte in 2012 and was a partner in Burson by Deloitte up until 2018. In 2019, Burson founded the Josh Burson Academy, a professional development academy, which has become the home for HR. In 2020, he put together a team of analysts and advisors We're now working with him to support and guide HR organizations from around the world. Recently published, research covers topics such as business resilience in the pandemic, HR technology market trends, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. He is frequently featured in publications such as Forbes, the Harvard Business Review, HR Executive, The Wall Street Journal, and CLO Magazine. He is a popular blogger and has more than 800,000 followers on LinkedIn. Uh, Josh is definitely uh, the guy to be in touch with when it comes to all things HR, talent management and acquisition, and HR tech. Uh, it's wonderful to have you back, Josh. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background before we dive on in?
1: No, that was plenty. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to get it in, into me anymore.
0: Okay, well, great. Uh, you you truly do have had just a tremendous career and you continue to add so much value. So it's Thank it's you. a pleasure to to have you back on. Now, let's let's actually start with this Amazon story. The New York Times yeah. broke the story. Frame that up for us. What what is the issue there? <laughs> and and well, what what know, will Amazon need to be doing about this?
1: Okay. Well, I'm not personally familiar with with the the, the stories that they reported, but I have to believe they're true. Uh, what it seems to indicate is that um is that and and I've heard this from people who work at Amazon is that this is not a company that is focused on the health well-being or uh, you know, long-term health of their employees. They've been focused on customers, customers, customers at the expense of everything else. Now, those of us that are all Amazon users have benefited from that, um, but I think they've essentially over-rotated towards market share growth, revenue growth, uh, innovation, customers, and they're now realizing that that's not possible without taking care of the employees now i've always i've learned that through twenty five years working as an analyst in Hr that the best companies and the and the most enduring companies at some point in time they have some sort of a crisis and they realize that if we don't take care of our employees, we don't have a company anymore and I think Amazon is coming to that conclusion slowly i mean I think when Jeff Bezos was promoted to chairman, he did make a funny comment, you know, saying, you know, maybe we should become the best employee company, as if he was just sort of thinking about it for the first time, which was a very sort of inter- entertaining for me. But, you know, the fact that they have unions, that they have lawsuits, they haven't been paying their taxes. Um, there's no excuse for this. And I did see some comments from some Um, people saying, well, it's a big company. It's hard to manage. That's not true. They've done a really good job of getting, you know, the box of diapers to your house within one minute of the time you're supposed to be there. And you know, exactly. (laughs) They can do HR too. They just chose not to do it. Stitching together HR technology is totally doable. They have Amazon web services, plenty of it people. There's no excuse for not doing this well. So, so I think it's a little bit of an indictment of their, investment in the people side of their business. And again, I have no direct relationship with Amazon execs, but I think there's going to be a bit of a wake up call there and more and more over the next couple of years, they're going to realize they have to take care of people. And in the long run, it'll make them a better company. So that's my high level perspective. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I I really appreciate that, and I also don't have any direct connection with Amazon other than as a customer that enjoys their fast delivery. Um, (laughs) And you know, we we do appreciate that, right? We appreciate the customer focus. Um, It's a tremendous company that's uh, innovated in so many ways, and they've added so much value, and and that's wonderful. Um, But I also agree with you that there's really no excuse Uh, if they can do logistics the way they do logistics if they can um uh do all the technology uh the way they do it certainly focusing on the hr tech the people tech uh and the experience of employees in the workplace is something within their range of you know what they can do well a they, good they,
1: example let me give you Jonathan an example yeah. that i think is another an analogy to this one of the companies i have spent a lot of time with over the years is ups You know, UPS is in a business. Parts of UPS's business are very similar to Amazon. Um, And UPS is a very old company. UPS originally was a horse and buggy company. And UPS is a very people centric culture. Uh, And if you've ever met a UPS driver, you know, with the brown shorts on or whatever they're wearing, I'll bet you found them to be a wonderful person who had a nice conversation with them. They have managed to build an incredibly successful company taking very good care of their people. They're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. You don't have to be hard on people to get things to, to the customer on time. Also, I would challenge this idea that Amazon is the lowest cost provider. They're not. The price of Amazon products is no, are no longer the lowest. In fact, they're higher now than direct consumers. So they have the money to do this. They can pay people fairly. They're very profitable. They've got incredibly good technology people. I think this is just a culture issue they've got to come to grips with, that they're in the people business, whether they like it or not.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I agree. It's a a bit of a mindset shift, a culture shift. The capabilities certainly are there, uh, and they can do it. They just have to choose to do it. And so nothing like a, a nice uh, New York Times article to uh, to get the attention of Bezos and the But, you know, and- I'm not
1: even sure it matters. I don't think the New York Times article makes that much difference. I think it really becomes an issue when the customers themselves say, I don't want to buy from you guys anymore. I don't feel good about this. I don't like the experience I'm having. And that's starting to probably happen. I would imagine they're starting to get that kind of messaging.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Wonderful. So, so that's a great example uh, of really what you're talking about in this new report that's coming out on Monday. So why don't you give us a little bit of a teaser for that? And then we, maybe we can dive on into a few of the high-level um, findings and recommendations that come from the research
1: you've been doing. Yeah. So this the, the name of the report is The Healthy Organization. And where it came from was um, back around 2015 or 2016, or even before then, I started getting inquiries about well-being. And uh, I was at Deloitte at the time, and I had written an article called The Overwhelmed Employee. And this was long before the pandemic. And we were suffering from, oh, our mobile phones had too many messages. We had too many emails, too many meetings. And people were kind of, you know, looking for ways to get more sleep. Uh, Arianna Huffington's book had just come out. And so there was this big wake-up call in corporate Uh, America around the world that oh we need to have a well-being program at work but the well-being program was really in the compensation and benefits department and it was looked at as a recruiting tool to get people to come to the company oh we have unlimited vacation here we have yoga classes here we have free food we have you know whatever and then you come to work there but you also and you find out you have all that but you also have to work 80 hours a week And you also have a boss who's breathing down your neck every night. So, you know, companies started piling on more and more of these well being benefits. And then, of course, the pandemic hits. So now we've got psychological health and coaching and uh, resilience training and, you know, more and more and more of this. In fact, it's a 60 billion dollar industry just in the corporate side to say nothing of the consumer side. So, um, so, you know, being the inquisitive type of analyst I am I said you know to the research people why don't we take a look at this because my gut tells me that the employee well-being solutions alone are not going to solve the problem we've got to deal with management we've got to deal with leadership job design um, performance management diversity all these things affect your your feeling of health at work so we did this big project and we um, surveyed eight or nine hundred companies we asked them to evaluate their practices in a whole bunch of areas. We had almost 90 or 100 practices, and we actually found out, as I expected, that there are some companies, about 15%, that are thinking about this as a holistic strategy for health, the health of individuals, the health of teams, they look at it as a leadership discipline, They look at it in the way they manage people, in the way they manage projects, the expectations that are set for growth and promotion. In other words, you don't have to work 90 hours a week to get promoted. In some companies, that's considered to be a badge of honor, and some companies, no. So uh, those companies at the fourth level were uh, extremely high-performing companies. These were companies that had uh, four or five, six times higher financial performance over a long period of time. They have great employment brands. They're very innovative and people love to work there. And one of the things that I you know, believe for years I've found this is that these aren't companies that just happen to be really, really fast growing companies. They tend to be companies that have been around a long time and they li- they've lived through the Amazon experience. They've lived through the turnarounds. And they've realized that, you know, it affects our shareholders, it affects our customers, it affects our uh, stakeholders if we're not taking good care of people. So, so the, the health and well-being of our employees is core to our business. One example of the, one of those companies is a company called Cummins Engine in Columbus, Indiana. This is a company that makes diesel engines. Now they're making all sorts of electric things, you know, motors and stuff. And they're very successful, huge company. And I went to visit them in Columbus, and it's one of the happiest companies I've ever met. They, have, they happen to have you know, medical centers in every major facility where they do business, where you can go to the medical center and get you know, drugs or diagnostics or whatever you need. And I asked them, why'd you do that? They said, well, because our employees need it. We don't really want them leaving the, the company to go to the doctor and wasting a lot of time. And the ROI to us is very, very high. And it helps us, you know, understand what the issues are that our employees are dealing with. And, you know, that company, if you look at their numbers over the years, has been a high-performing company for many, many decades and takes really good care of their people. They're also, by the way, a leader in diversity and inclusion. They're a leader in promoting women into leadership, all sorts of other things. So so I wanted to frame this in a way that the well-being buyer would, would come to the realization that this is bigger than just adding a bunch of benefits to the benefits program. And that's really what the research is all about.
0: As we try to take a more holistic approach to the health uh, of our, our people, uh, the, the members of our team, of course, there's, there's the emotional and psychological health of our people. There's the physical health, of course. Um, there's all these different components that we need to think about. And as you're uh, Conducting this research and reaching out to these 900 or so companies, what were some of the major findings uh, that really stuck out to you that might inform the trajectory, you know, of the way things go over the next couple of years?
1: Yeah, I think there there's sort of a breakpoint. So so at the first at the bottom levels of this, companies do tend to buy a lot of tools and they have a lot of benefits and they, you know, they have financial well being and they have sleep and behavioral health and all that stuff and and at the core of this by the way is employee safety level one is safety you know do we have a safe workplace and so that goes without saying and if you're an oil company or a manufacturing company that's kind of sacrosanct um but then you reach this point where you have all this stuff and the employees don't use it and you have this like i talked to the CHO of a large healthcare provider the other day and she said We have every possible well-being benefit we could ask for. We have nap rooms. We have all sorts of great things. But the employees keep saying to me, I don't think you really care about me. I've been working 60 hours a week. I've got patients coming in, arguing with me about their masks. It's my work that's making my life difficult, not these benefits. And so, you know, once you reach that point and you realize that the problem is bigger than the benefits in the well-being programs. You look at job design, you look at goals, you look at management behaviors, you look at facilities and offices and um, logistical things that are getting in people's ways. And those fall into the category more of employee experience issues,
0: and explore those ordinary everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations.
1: Um, And at that point, this problem isn't located in the compensation and benefits department anymore. Now it's something the CHRO is talking about, the CEO is talking about, the management team is discussing. We're not sending emails on Friday afternoons or late over the weekend anymore and expecting people to come in on Sundays. Uh, I mean, I remember when I was at Deloitte, this is a funny story, you know, Deloitte's a very high-performing company. People worked very hard. My first couple of years there, uh, there was a very high turnover rate and there was a bunch of projects to try to figure out why that was. So there was a well-being group that started up and they started throwing out all these wonderful programs, but their attention rate really didn't change. And eventually somebody did a little study and found out the reason people were burned out was because they were leaving their homes on Sunday morning, getting on a plane, going to a client, getting there Sunday night, staying at the client Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, flying home Thursday night, going to the office Friday, having an all-hands meeting on Friday, and then going home Friday night. And all they had for their families was Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday morning. And, you know, most of the people at Deloitte are in their 20s or 30s. They have young families. A lot of them are single. They were getting burned out. And, you know, so the answer wasn't to sort of change the whole company. The answer was to create a flexible. Consulting model. So while I was there, Deloitte came up with a much more flexible operating model for consulting. And by the way, the customers were very happy. The customers said, "We didn't want you guys here all week anyway." I don't know. We didn't weren't even sure why you guys were always around. So um, that is an example of you know the type of thing that UPS does or pharmaceutical companies do to try to make the work itself healthy. And the management experience around it and it doesn't have to mean that less work gets done it doesn't mean that people are going to goof off all day and sit around in the coffee shop and just hang out it just means we're going to be better designers of the work and we're going to think about the human issues from top to bottom and um i think the well-being industry is a bit of a fad I, I i mean i nothing against all these programs but uh nobody can consume all this stuff and even though people you know you have this fancy app that wakes you up in the middle of the morning every morning asks you how much sleep you got you know that's nice but <laughs> why were you up night, the night before because your boss was breathing down your neck i don't think the app knows that so um so the software is getting better like microsoft has some really nice tools that, that automatically create focus time on your calendar. Uh, there's, a, there's a new uh, technologies that do nudging that encourage you to slow down. If you're uh, you know, doing work that appears to be going too fast, there's different technologies that are going to make this better. But right now, um, I think we have to just get out of this box of throwing well-being programs at employees and really thinking about what's going to make people productive and healthy at work.
0: Yeah. And that's certainly been my experience in different organizations I've been a part of. There's always this long cafeteria list of items, uh, all these different benefits that are provided, uh, most of which are never really utilized by most employees. Uh, But the company can say, look at everything we're doing and we do care about you. The reality, like you said, is that most people aren't using them. Most people don't really see them as important or relevant. And, and so what's really driving their, their overall health and their experience within that organization is the job design. It is right. the, the organizational culture. It's, it's the, their interactions with coworkers and with their boss. Right. Those are the things that are going to matter the most. And so focusing on job design, like you said, I think is, is just so, so important. Uh, and if nothing else, this pandemic has demonstrated that uh, a lot of kind of our old-fashioned notions and and traditions around job design and, and the way work functioned in the office uh, wasn't particularly effective or efficient or, or necessary, frankly. And so now we have a chance to really take a step back and to look seriously at this and figure out what's meaningful, what's important, what needs to continue. I suppose there, there are times when we need everyone uh, pitching in, coming in on the weekend, putting in long hours. Because we have, you know, some looming deadline, we have to be able to get it taken care of. But it's one thing to have that once every blue moon, it's another thing to have that as the normal expectation. Uh, and it does just wear on people. And ultimately, it, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody if, if you have high turnover, if people aren't happy, if people aren't engaged, and just because they're sitting in the office, 60, 80, 90 hours a week doesn't mean they're productive for 60, 80, or 90 hours a week. And in fact, there's just so much research showing how little of that time is actually productive time. So why don't we redesign the work in such a way that people can optimize their efforts and get things done, uh, have good outcomes for the company, uh, while still maintaining some semblance of work-life integration and balance that allows them to you know, live a complete life. Mm-hmm. When right. that happens, people are going to be happy. They're going to be um, fulfilled. They're going to uh, give more and better to the organization.
1: No, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the things that pandemic did that was a positive is it, is it gave us the freedom to do that, to allow people to work at home, to be more flexible, to be more forgiving, to say, okay, listen, if you can't come to the meeting, no big deal we catch up later. I understand you have such and such going on at home. I mean, those are small things that make a huge difference. When people feel that the organization and their leaders care, they're willing to pitch in and put extra time in when it's needed. Um, And the other thing is making work itself meaningful. I, I firmly believe my own experience, my own kids, my own clients, 99% ninety nine percent of the world goes to work because they want to do good work. They want to do something meaningful. Yeah, they want to get paid too. But if the work itself is not meaningful or interesting, it's never going to be great. So that's part of the job too, is is making sure that the work as designed is uh, valuable for the employee, not just the customer or the or the producer or the consumer. Um, And great companies do that all the time. There's millions of ways to do that. And it can happen in any
0: type of organization. So, you know, a lot of times we think of the Googles of the world, um, but like you were saying earlier, the earlier example, largely manufacturing based company, they're doing it too. And there's so many examples.
1: You know, I've talked to AMC theaters. I mean, there's all sorts of uh, what we call essential work. Now, I think healthcare is one that's the toughest. But most people who work in healthcare really want to help other people. So you know, there's lots of extra effort going on in that industry right now to give people even more flexibility um, to accommodate their workload. But yeah. yeah, it's a good lesson regardless of the industry.
0: Yeah, and actually bringing up healthcare, I think that's that's a really important one. Um, you know, uh, frontline workers during the pandemic have been as burned out as anyone, <laughs> probably more than anyone. And uh, they've been dealing with all sorts of challenges over the past eighteen plus months. But even pre-pandemic, that's it's a tough field. And if you're in nursing, for example, uh, n- nurses have had high levels of burnout and turnover for a long, long time. And it, it's just uh, been ramped up a bit during the pandemic with with the burnout. Uh, and in fact, you know, I, I do a good amount of research and employee engagement and satisfaction. And it's, it's funny when you look at academic literature in those areas, a disproportionate amount of it comes out of nursing and uh, healthcare administration. (laughs) And so, you know, that there's a problem there um, that they're trying to figure out. And, and certainly uh, these new technologies uh, will help as we try to figure it out. Um, But ultimately it comes back to, I mean, even if you don't have a fancy technology to help you it comes out back to how I interact with my people as a leader. It comes back to the culture that I establish. It comes back to whether or not I'm emailing people all hours of the night and over the weekend. Am I taking my vacation time? Am I encouraging other people to take theirs? Um, uh, am I honoring, you know, people's lives outside of work or am I expecting them to drop everything? Anytime I have any sort of question or need, you know, feel like I need something. Um, you know, I'm in a situation right at the moment. I'm, I am recording in a different place than I normally do uh, Mm -hmm. with different equipment because yesterday um, my two youngest sons tested positive for COVID. Um, We've been so careful for the past 18 months. What a drag. (laughs) It it is a drag, right? Like we've been so careful for so long and um, they're they're just not old enough to get vaccinated yet. And uh, you know, but it, it happened, it caught up to them. They got COVID and, and so they're back home uh, and just trying to juggle taking care of the boys and helping them with their homeschool and everything. And fortunately I have a flexible job that allows me to do that with minimal disruption. And I'm grateful for it. I'm, I'm tremendously grateful for it. And I can only imagine if I was in a different type of occupation where ultimately I didn't have that level of flexibility. And so we, we just, there are some constraints around how we design work, depending on the industry, depending on the type of job. But some of those constraints are artificial. Some of them are just tradition and we can disrupt that and ultimately rethink it. And if we do that, it's going to only be to the benefit of the company, to the people within the company. Uh, and, And ultimately, I think that's what everyone wants, right?
1: With all of that and everything we've been talking about, the other thing that really matters is just listening to people, just being a leader, a supervisor, a peer who cares about the person next to you that goes a long way. A lot of, sometimes you can't solve the problem. Sometimes the work just has to get done. But if you feel like the people around you care and they're willing to do what they can to help you, that goes a huge way of making you feel better about your work. So, um, you know, I appreciate you sharing that story because that's exactly, you know, a good example of what happens to everybody.
0: Yeah, we all have stuff come up and and no. things we have to navigate. Well, Josh, it has just been a real pleasure Uh, to touch base with you again, to hear about this upcoming report. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about where people can find more about that report. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about the Josh Person Academy, and then give us a final word on the topic for today.
1: Okay, well, if you go to joshperson.com, it's all there. Uh, The report will be on the front page. It's called The Healthy Organization. You can just download it. Um, Our academy is um, the world's best, largest, single, only, maybe, Professional Development Academy for all of HR. Uh, it's for HR professionals and HR organizations. We have spent a lot of time the last three years building a capability model around it so you can assess your capabilities and benchmark yourself against lots of other people as well as other organizations. And we would love to, um, for, you know to, t- to help any of you out there listening on, on any of these topics, and I would just say that, you know, I think coming out of 2021, we're all a little bit tired of this. It's not over yet, but if we take care of ourselves and our organizations, things will be fine. And a year from now, we'll be in a whole new world, I hope. So thank you, Jonathan.
0: Thank you. I hope so, too. Uh, again, it's a, always a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, check out the new report, check out the Joss Person Academy uh, and all the great materials that are coming Uh, out of your team's work. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results.